Okay, tonight we're going to be talking about when people make you crazy. So did anybody hear that topic and get really excited because they have somebody that they want to change? Yeah, is that the... <laughs> we're in our series called The Brain Makeover, so that's probably what not exactly what we're going to talk about tonight, if you noticed. Because we're not trying to make over other people's brains. We're trying to make over ours. <laughs> if only that was possible to make over other people's brains. So in, in light of the overall topic that we've been discussing, we've been talking about the fact that a lot of times we can kind of go crazy in our brain, that we can get stuck in patterns where we're powerless and where we go in circles that kind of get us nowhere and where we have destructive thinking that paralyzes us. And so in light of that topic, I was thinking about one of the areas that I know I personally have gotten the most crazy is in the way that I've thought or related to other people in my life or relationships. You know, the first, I think last week when we talked about Self-talk, that's probably the number one place that most of us go crazy is in the way that we speak, you know, the thoughts that we have about ourselves. But I'm going to hazard a guess that the number two place that we make ourselves crazy is the way that we get stuck in some of our thinking about our relationships with others and the way that other people have impacted us or affected us. And this is kind of a huge topic in a way, so I was wrestling around with this thinking, because as I was thinking about it, we're, we're, when we're talking about the brain... Uh, series and the four steps. We've been talking about the first part is, is acknowledging feelings, the feelings that come up, and then from that, thinking about what we're thinking about, our thoughts. And so in those first steps, I was thinking about the feelings that come up that are not, that are some of the darkest and most unwanted in, the in, in light of relationship. I was thinking some of the thoughts and uh, some of the emotions that came to mind were things like envy. You know, if you've ever struggled with envy, it's a darkie. You know, I've definitely gotten in a trap. Uh, and it's, it's, it's probably one of the, the places when I've gone there that I dislike myself the most is when I get in a cycle of envy, of looking at others and getting angry or resentful about, you know, why people have other advantages that seem unfair or, you know, when I get in that kind of a cycle. Or... Another area that I was thinking about that we can drive ourselves a little nuts is in the area of resentments. You know, things that we're holding on of people that have wronged us or hurt us in some way and getting sort of holding on to that in, in a way uh, as well. Uh, anger. We've talked about anger, and anger is not, not a bad emotion because emotions aren't bad at all. But it's, the Bible speaks about the fact that we don't want to let the sun go down upon our wrath, upon our anger. That the idea, it says, be angry and sin not. That, but if we stay stuck in anger mode and don't move from that, that that's another area that kind of makes us a little bit crazy. When we're, up, when, when we're upset or angry and stay there about something that, of course, we can be angry at ourselves and angry at circumstances. But in particular, I'm thinking about the context of being angry with others and holding on to that. So some of, I was thinking about some of those things and how they kind of get stuck in our brains and so and what we can do as far as um, how we're relating to these things in the light of that it's interesting because of the fact that uh, if we don't have our handout about the four steps but we were talking about in the four steps 
you know, we notice the feelings, we're thinking about the thoughts that, we're, that we've been thinking about, and then we're looking at the thoughts and deciding whether they are lining up with reality or not reality. You know, and we get and getting help from God and others scriptures to figure out which of those categories it falls into and then processing that. Sometimes when now from this, you know, we we can either go through the process of when people have hurt us and it truly is a, r- a real wrong that we have encountered where the process for that is to, you know, we've got the, the sometimes it starts with anger and then getting connected to the hurt and the loss and letting go and grieving and moving on. Um, I was thinking about this and, and what I thought about, because this is actually such a big, big topic and there's so many different directions that we can go in it with it. What I was thinking about was instead of kind of going through all the facets of that, because our next series is gonna be a relationship series, so we'll get to spend more time on this topic. But I thought that that I, what I'd like to share with you is a story of somebody in the Bible that was faced with some really terrible situations with other people. Because one of the areas that we have no control over is other people. So sometimes some of the things that happen and some of what, how people treat us or the situations that we come, a- come across are not fair and they suck. And there's nothing we can do about it as far as what other people do, their actions, behavior. You know, this is an area that we are truly powerless. So I want to, because this, the goal of this kind of overall topic is to look at where we go in our minds and what we do have power over, to kind of separate out what we, letting go of the things that we have no power or control over and taking a look at what we can do. And so we're gonna see a really great example of a person that and how they responded and some of some of the choices that really you know empowered them in a really bad situation it's the story of Joseph in Genesis uh, 37 <coughs> and Joseph we're gonna just see he got kinda bad break after bad break and uh, and these are just normal human things that most of us have come across at one time or another in our lives in, Genef- in Genesis chapter 37 in verse uh, let's start in verse 3 uh, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him now that kind of sucks it, you know, for both of them. This is not a good circumstance. We, you know, like as far as a start in life, you're born into a family, and it kind of is not the greatest that your father loves somebody else better in your family. And that makes it really obvious where everybody kind of knows you're not the favorite. There's another favorite, and so, and you're not it. So, Clearly, this was not great for his brothers, but on the other hand, it was kind of a crummy situation for Joseph to be stuck in because here he is being the favored child to his father, which is great, but having all of his brothers hate him, which is a very difficult situation. So we got a family dynamic that's starting off kind of not so good, and it gets worse. And then it says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, 
Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaths of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright and your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. <laughs> His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So it probably wasn't, given the circumstances, the wisest thing to do for Joseph, given that it was already a bad situation to share that dream with his brothers. But he did. And uh, not a sin or anything, but probably not too much wisdom. And in verse 9, it says, he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and even the stars were bowing down to me. And verse 10, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. So then what happens is um, a little bit of time goes by um, and the brothers are out tending to the flocks and uh, the dad sends Joseph out to look for his brothers. We're going to pick up the story again in verse 19. It says, where Joseph catches up with his brothers, and, uh, or almost does, and the brothers say, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So we're kind of seeing, now, people don't normally set out to kill someone that quickly. We've talked about this in the area that when we spoke about the heart and about how feeding, w- feeding on certain thoughts over a period of time that can lead us in one direction or another. We're going to see the direction that it led the brothers in this circumstance because it is a crummy situation to be handed, to be treated like a second best child to one of your brothers. But what the brothers wound up doing with that because you have to think about this over and over and over again on, in, your, in your mind to get to the place that there was so much hatred, so much bitterness, so much resentment, so much envy that they couldn't stand it anymore. And remember how we talked about the fact that the Bible speaks about the fact that your conscience gets where it's past feeling, that doing bad things should feel bad to you but you can actually train your conscience by thinking something over and over and over again so that it doesn't impact you and you don't feel bad to the place that you feel justified in your behavior. So they got to a place that somehow in their mind it was intolerable, it was unbearable, so they had to be thinking about this a lot. So speaking about the brain makeover part, we talked about the fact that we have control of our thoughts. We don't have control over the individual thoughts that pop in our brain, but we have control over what, which thoughts we choose to harbor and dwell and feed. And what they had done to get to the place, imagine, imagine just thinking about this. Because we've had thoughts, we've all had thoughts of revenge. We've all had thoughts of maybe, hit, like, we've all had thoughts of wanting to hit somebody or hurt them or get somebody to pay for what they've done to us, where we've gotten worked up to that. So we kind of understand that direction, right? But this is the idea of feeding that to the place that they had justified that they wanted to kill their brother. It had to be a place where they were like, I can't reconcile this. I can't find peace with this. It's painful. It's unbearable. Wow, that's pretty dark, wouldn't you say? Your own brother. Um, I mean, you can think about the thoughts that they probably fed, too, as far as his arrogance and he doesn't deserve to live and it's screwing up our family and all kinds of things. 
Anyway, um, we see to, you know, it's funny because we see the same pattern. There's, a, there's so many other people in scripture that went this direction. Lucifer. Lucifer, the whole thing of how, what happened. Lucifer was made a bright morning star. But what he did was he all of a sudden started focusing on why he wasn't God and wanting to be God. It talks about, I will ascend my throne. I will be like the most high God was the downfall of Lucifer. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with Cain, with his brother, where he obsessed over the fact that his heart wasn't right before, before the Lord. And so the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's because Cain's was given from a place of not really having a desire to sacrifice. But he was so bitter and angry that he wound up killing his brother. We see it in things like Ananias and Sapphira with the offering and the deceit that happened there. We see it with Saul where Saul was given the kingdom. He was a great king. God had given him everything. He was walking with God in all of this power. God had called him. He was speaking with God. He was prophesying. But he got so swelled up with his ego and power and walked away from trusting God that he got to the place that he was doing things on his own. He, He consulted a psychic and got way off track from God and was not listening and disobedient to God that God then told David that he was going to be the next king. Saul got so envious that he tried to kill David. So we see the pattern where these situations are fed, where people feed, feed, feed these situations and take the other other road. So anyway. um, And then when Reuben heard it and and tried to rescue him, and then it says... um, uh, in verse 24, they took him and threw him in the cistern, and the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meal, and they looked and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. <laughs> yeah, big guy. Uh, <laughs> he... Our own flesh and blood, his brothers agreed. So the uh, Midianite merchants came, and his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites that took him to Egypt. Now, it's interesting because we're going to see in another place as we read, which is heartbreaking, we see when the brothers are looking back that Joseph was screaming for his brothers to save him. I mean, you have to, can you just imagine what that would be like as far as talk about a betrayal being the youngest son and having, and you know what it's like to be a younger brother. You know, younger brothers always put their older brothers on a pedestal as far as looking up and they're the, you know, big, I want to be like my big brother, that kind of thing. To think about the trust that was broken in Joseph, to be just out there looking to carry a message to them about their father and they throw him in a well initially and leave him for dead. And it said he cried out over and over and begged them to save his life. And what it would take for the brothers to sit there and hear their youngest brother screaming like that from helplessness left for dead. Ba- and him knowing that he would die sitting there at the bottom of the well. But what happened is they had somewhat of a change of heart, decide to sell him into slavery instead, which... I still imagine would have been, had to have been extremely terrifying because he's sold to people that spoke a, di- a different language in a different nation, taken someplace he doesn't even know, away from his home, never to see his father or his family again. We talk about having some childhood traumas. 
this is kind of a big one, I would say. This is something you go through that people, you know, there's all, we talked about this before, we've got newspaper articles where people feel like they're justified for, for how they've made choices for doing heinous things in their life because of their childhood. If anybody had a, an excuse to do some hideous things, it would have been Joseph. Let's take a look um, in uh, 39 verse 1. We're going to skip ahead. So here he is, sold into slavery. In, verse, in chapter Genesis 39, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. In verse 2, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. I mean to tell you, and one of the things that we're going to see in this with Joseph is that Joseph was somebody that really sought the Lord. In difficult circumstances, Joseph had every reason to be even more bitter than his brothers were. You think his brothers had it bad. If Joseph had a reason to sit there and feel sorry for himself, to be angry, to plot resentment, to say, why me, to turn away from God. If anybody had a, a reason to stay stuck in a bunch of bitterness and resentment, I would say it would be Joseph. But Joseph, in a very difficult circumstance, knew the God Almighty was his God no matter what happened, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what people did to him, that God would be there with him and God would be there for him. So in a terrible situation, again, we have no control over people and hideous people and people doing things, but God caused, caused him to rise to the top again out of being sold in slavery. Of What are the circumstances? Here we see, well, you don't know what's going to happen yet, but I'll tell you. In verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. So this is not a bad place for one to wind up as a slave for Potiphar. He's, you know, big honcho for Pharaoh. It says, When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his care to everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph in care of everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, what we see is we see that Joseph and his faithfulness and faith to, to God to do the right things, that that he, his honor, his integrity, and the way he lived his life and his faith and trust in God, that, his, that Potiphar saw that and acknowledged that, there was, that God was working in him and gave him a, he's a slave and he's in charge of everything. All of his money, all of his finances, all the, he, he called all the shots in a very powerful household is the responsibility. And from that we also see that Potiphar blessing Joseph like that that God bless Potiphar as well. I mean to say that no matter where God puts you and I, no matter what the circumstance is, that we do not have to be held back by that. That we, it says, that if God be for us, who could be against us? That it's a matter of looking to God Almighty because God can cause us to triumph in every situation. God can call, cause us to overcome. Here he's sold into slavery, and God turns things around, but I'm, t I'm sure it didn't happen immediately. I'm sure that this was a little bit 
rough going that Joseph had to be faithful in prayer and seeking and trusting that God would bless him wherever wherever he wound up. And then we so we get to see that if you are walking with God, the fruit will be evident in your life and in your business, in everything you do, people will see it. People will see that you're somebody of honor, somebody else people see that you're trustworthy, have integrity, that you're responsible, that you know people will see that there's something different. People will see the healing and how God's delivered you. And then you also see that when people bless you, the Lord's going to bless them too, which is pretty cool. And I believe that. Um, so, now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. <laughs> and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Well, this is quite a pickle. <laughs> Some people might think that this was a good thing. You know, but Joseph, in verse 8, he refused. This is, imagine that this is not an easy situation to be in. Your slave, your, your master's wife says, come to bed with me. Wow, talk of, can you imagine how, how much that would feel trapped? Panic. I have no choice. Oh my God, why has this always happened to me? Have you ever felt, why me? Why is it always me? I just got out of, you know, the, the being at the bottom of the well, but he, um, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, can you imagine the stress of that? Every day. I mean, her coming on to him, and I, uh, this is pretty persistent, pretty aggressive. This cannot be feeling very good. I can't, you know, imagine just what that would feel like. It says, um, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. It's pretty aggressive. Yeah. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told this story that that Hebrew slave you bought, brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So... Gosh, so many levels. You've got to think about the fact that Joseph had to have really loved Potiphar probably a lot for trusting him 
with the care of his household and what that must have felt like to be faced with the fact that Potiphar is believing that he tried to rape his wife. And the exact opposite was true and there was nothing, nothing that he could have done to have changed that circumstance. Just talk about powerless. Talk about getting handed a raw, horrible, horrible deal. I can't even imagine what it would have been like for Joseph to have looked at Potiphar's face and to have him go off about that and to hear these stories that are absolute lies. They're nothing close to the truth and him knowing what really happened and having no way that he could say anything or do anything to show Potiphar that it was a lie. But while Joseph was in there, was in the prison, the Lord was with him <laughs> and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You know, do we see a recurring theme here? You know, talk about a situation where a guy keeps getting the raw end of the deal, but no matter what it is, because the truth is we have no power over other people. There's nothing we could do. It really sucks. It can really suck. If you've ever been burned, you've ever gotten people lie about you, betray you, hurt you in ways that were wrong, tried to turn you into the person that was wrong. It's not, it's awful. But the truth is, we've got to keep in mind that God can be with us in all of those circumstances, no matter what. That God is bigger and God is for you. God is for them too. But God's not going to back their crummy behavior. It says, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. Wow, how can you prosper in prison of all places? You'd think that would be impossible. In verse 22, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that had done, uh, uh, all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So even in prison, we see Joseph doing well and thriving once again, where he's in charge of the whole place and uh, after getting locked up. So then what happens, I'm going to skip a little bit because uh, this is kind of a long story, but it's kind of, it's a fun story if you want to read it sometime. While he's in prison, there's a couple guys that have dreams and Joseph asks God for the interpretation of the dreams and the dreams play out exactly as Joseph said. So the one guy, the cupbearer, uh, Joseph had uh, told him and interpreted the dream that he was going to go back and work for the king and be restored. And so when the cupbearer, when it comes to pass and he leaves and goes to work for Pharaoh, Joseph says, just promise that you'll, the cupbearer says, what can I do for you for interpreting the dream? And Joseph says, just remember me when you go to Pharaoh. Well, the cupbearer doesn't. And he goes to Pharaoh and forgets all about the fact that Joseph was the one that prophesied about him going back to the king and, and interpreted the dream. So two years, Joseph stays stuck in jail and is forgotten about by the cupbearer. So once again, he gets burned by another person he trusted. So then what happens is two years go by and Pharaoh has a dream and he can't interpret it and he brings in all the wise men in the kingdom and none of them can interpret it too. And then all of a sudden the cupbearer goes, oh, I forgot. There's this guy I met in jail and I promised him, but he knows how to interpret dreams. So they bring... Uh, Joseph to the Pharaoh and he interprets the Pharaoh's dream and the Pharaoh's dream basically had said that there was going to be seven years of great plenty in Egypt and then seven years of famine and that during the years of plenty that Pharaoh was to store up the plenty because during the years of famine all the nations around them and everybody was going to starve and so that if, if Pharaoh had stored up the food that they would be the only nation that had any food which is what happened 
And so that's how Egypt became very powerful during this famine because they had, they had all the stores of food and all the other nations sold their gold, their jewelry, everything else to eat or else they'd die. So Pharaoh, so Pharaoh wound, up, wound up being very successful. But we're going to continue with in uh, 41 in verse 39 because Joseph tells Pharaoh the dream and in verse 39 it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made this known to you about the dream, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to uh, Joseph, I will put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his biggest, his, uh, so, sorry, Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. The signet ring is where you sign things, and it was the, the sig- you know, symbol of authority that you could, like, it's kind of like having the king's power of attorney. And put it on Joseph's finger, dressed him in robes of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride the chariot as his second in command, and all the men shouted before him, make way, and he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. So what happens is, um, this is kind of a long way to go from jail, wouldn't you say? Uh, as far as God restoring him and bringing him to the top. And then... What happens is because of the famine in Genesis 42, verse 1, um, it says, When Jacob, this is Joseph's father, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So Joseph is one of the nations at this point that knows that... um, that there's no food and sends his sons to Egypt not knowing what they're going to find there. And so in verse 6, we'll continue the story. Um, Wait, do we need that? Um, Oh, here we go, yeah. In verse 6 it says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all the people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them but pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Now, mind you, it's, it's at least 20 years later. Joseph was you know, younger at the time, so he probably changed the most physically. Also, he's dressed as, a ver- as like a royal Egyptian, so... Um, he would have looked extremely different than, than when his brothers had remembered him. Of course, um, he's speaking a you know, different language, and it's definitely, there's lots of reasons why he would recognize them, but they wouldn't recognize him. In verse 9 it says, Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. It says, no, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. So what we're going to see here, which is really interesting, is we're going to see a lot about how Joseph responds to people that have hurt him in a really horrific, horrible, horrible way. So in this, we'll see that... We're going to see that Joseph doesn't right away when some, like take them right back in. We're talking about a huge and, and very, very intense violation. Joseph doesn't go, you, you know, I mean, hey, my brother, it's great to see you. Oh, you tried to kill me? It's all fine. We're good. Come here. We're, 
you know, he, he gets the fact that what they had done was pretty severe and serious. And so instead of welcoming them with open arms, what he does, which is the appropriate thing to do when there has been a big violation of trust like this, is he gives them some things to see where they're at today and to see whether they're trustworthy or not. And so there's a few things that he walks them through before he opens himself up to them again. Um, so we're going to skip ahead because uh, this is, again, how to deal with difficult situations and difficult relationships. Um, in verse 18 it says, uh, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words might be verified and so that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Now, what happened is um, Jacob didn't want to give up the youngest because Joseph and the youngest, Benjamin, were of the same mother, Rachel. Rachel was Jacob's love. Jacob had two wives. He married Leah, who was kind of forced on him and had a lot of kids with her. That was the brothers. And then the, pr the woman he really loved was Rachel, who had just died not too long ago. And he had two children. He had Joseph and um, uh, Benjamin through Rachel. So, so Joseph is saying, I want you know, my full brother. I want you to go back and get him who's left at home. And so it says they said to... Uh, Oh, actually, it's they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of, of our brother. He saw how distressed, we saw how distressed, wait, sorry. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. I told you this was the part where while he was down in that well, that they heard him screaming over and over and pleading with them to spare his life. And then it says in, um, <coughs> in verse 22, Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but he turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. You have to, you just can't imagine what it must have been like to look at the brothers who he hadn't seen since they left him for dead in that pit, that they were ready to let him die and sold him for slavery. As that's the last time he saw them growing up. He's been through all this. The Lord has brought him success because he's trusted the Lord through all these trials and tribulations. And now he is face to face with somebody that has hurt him beyond what most of us could really even imagine. And they don't know who he is. And so, of course, this is something, these are his brothers, this is his family. It, it makes sense that he couldn't, <laughs> would have to take a little break to cry. Um, so he fills their sacks with grain and sends them on their way. Um, and gives them another chance. And says, come on back with your brother. And this is kind of a test to see as far as, now they have another chance as far as how they, what they're going to do with the youngest brother. And in verse 43, in, I mean chapter 43 in verse 26, it says, When Joseph came home, they presented him the gifts, because they show back up, basically, with their youngest brother. And Joseph tells them that they're invited to dinner, and they freak out because they're like, oh my gosh, he's going to kill us. And 
they um, the servants bring the brothers to his house and they're cleaned up and the, the dad says here maybe bring more money more gifts you know maybe they'll take bring double the silver because what happened was um, Joseph put the silver back in their in their um, bags that they had paid and they didn't know it so then their dad's thinking oh they're gonna think that you stole this go back and take more money you know uh, they're gonna surely kill your brother and then they said they're not gonna let the brother go unless you bring let us bring the youngest so here they are with the youngest and uh, in verse 26 when Joseph came home they presented him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down to the ground he asked them how they were and he said God, this must have killed him to ask with a straight face. How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? Joseph hasn't seen his father. He's asking them how his dad is. They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed low to pay him honor. Um, oh, yeah. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, oh, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went to a private room and wept there. And seeing, being face to face with his littlest brother. And then we're going to go down to, uh, let's see. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Um, in 44, in verse 30. Um, he basically goes back, oh, 44, verse 30, let's see, I'm trying to figure out the places to skip around to. Um, so he goes back and they, he says, let's see, sorry, I'm having a hard time talking about this. Okay. Um. So what happens is Joseph um, plants a cup in the in the youngest's sack and says um, and ca and brings them back and says that you've stolen something and says okay you're going to have to sacrifice the youngest child um, and so again another test to see where they're at today as far as um, if they've had a change of heart from what they did as far as how they handled him when he was the youngest and so they. Um, the father said, uh, sends him back, and it says, so now if the boy is not with us, oh, I'm sorry, wait a minute, they, I skipped a part. Um, I'm trying to skip over so I don't have to read all this, so I'm trying to figure out where to skip ahead to, because it's a big story. So what happens from here? So he sees um, his youngest brother, and then it says, uh, so if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if the father... Uh, is not closely bound up with the boy's life and sees that the boy's not there, he will die. So, he si so Joseph is saying, I'm going to keep the youngest because you stole this. And so they're saying, if the boy is not, if we can't go back without Benjamin, our dad will die. Like, I, we can't. We, it's like, my da our dad can't take it. And he tells the story. Um, oh, actually, let me go back because I'll, I'll tell you the thing is, when... Joseph tells him he wants to keep the youngest because the the stolen cup in verse 27 says your servant my father said to us this is the, the his brothers are telling Joseph this um, that our father said when 
that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me and said, he has surely been torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray hair down to my grave in misery. So the guys are telling Joseph, we can't go back without the youngest. Our dad will die. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. So what happens here is Judah says, don't take the boy, I'll stand in his place. I'll pay the price for the youngest son and take the blame and not go back. And from that, Joseph gets it that his brother's hearts had changed and that they weren't the same people that had thrown him into the well and left him there for dead. Because now being faced with the same circumstance that they had before, that they're making a different choice to sacrifice themselves. You know, he was wondering, and this whole thing was set up to say, are you going to do this again and throw the other kid under the bus or not, before Joseph opens his arms and embraces them once again. And um, uh, so in verse 45 and verse 1, it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all of his tenants, he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his, fathers were, his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You can imagine seeing the power of their brother and the tables turned and knowing what they had done to him. What they expected is that they expected payment back for, for their wrongdoing, which they had deserved and had coming. And certainly Joseph was in a place to do it. Joseph could absolutely at that point gotten revenge on his brothers. And they, in their brains, knew that they deserved that and had it coming. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God has sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by great deliverance. And then in verse 14 it says, Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with them. So what we see here, we see so many things because we see a situation where Joseph has been handed over and over and over again. He's been wronged by people. He has been betrayed. He's been handed just a bad deck every, every which turn. But we see that Joseph's heart didn't get hard, that Joseph didn't get bitter and anger and stuck in resentment and in that cycle about why me? And it's unfair and self-pitying and angry and seeking revenge like his brothers did. He got to the place where he said, it's still my God that takes care of me. Where he looked to God to help him overcome in the worst of circumstances and God caused him to triumph over and over and over again. 
When he's faced with the people that have wronged him the most, what he does is looks into their faces, and he doesn't just be a, an idiot and just go, yeah, okay, you tried to kill me, but I'm just going to act like everything's great and fine, and it doesn't matter whether you've changed or not. I, I'm just going to give you the keys to my life, and you can walk all over me all over again. He spends some time kind of looking and putting, and he gives them like different opportunities over and over again to see if they're going to repeat what they had done before, where he gives them degrees of trust to see what their choices now are. In that, instead of selling out Benjamin like they had him, he gets it that they are willing to give their lives for their brother that they're in a different place where they've been repentant, that they even realize that the situation that they're in that they probably deserved because of what they had done to their brother, that they had a sense of repentance in it. And then we see from that that Joseph forgives them. He still could have absolutely gotten revenge. I mean, and he would have been justified in it. He had the legal right. He had the power. It would have been fine. Pharaoh would have let him do whatever he wanted, I'm sure. You know, but, but he chose to forgive and to let go and to move on. Knowing that, and what he says is that in it, that through the, th that basically telling them, you don't owe me anything because God took care of me. Forgiveness is when somebody owes you something and you don't make them pay. It is not trusting somebody that's not, that's not trustworthy. It's, it's a different thing. Sometimes people f mix up forgiveness and trust. If somebody's been not trustworthy, that doesn't mean you just blanket give them trust all over again without any r new record of them showing that they're trustworthy. He gave them the trust after they proved the trustworthiness, but in it, there was still forgiveness. Where Joseph says, yes, I could take this out on you, but I have washed the debt clean. And acknowledges the fact that no matter what they did, it's still God that took care of him all the way through. So I want to, in light of, we're going to be getting into in the relationship series that we're going to start. We've got a couple more weeks of our brain makeover series. But I wanted to give, I just thought that this was such a compelling story as far as an overview of a phenomenal example of somebody that had to deal with difficult circumstances and people, talk about people making you crazy. You know, this would be a place that would be very easy to get stuck. And a lot of the things that we can relate to in, in this as far as not always, you know, getting the short end of the stick in life oftentimes or not always being dealt the best cards. But understanding that God is still God and is still for us no matter what and no matter who does anything against us that God is for us and has made us conquerors. We're going to get more into the details of these things and these emotions more when we get into the relationship part because this, this whole area of how people make us crazy or, you know, not how people make us crazy, but that too. But uh, <laughs> when people make us crazy and how people make us crazy, um, that we can get into in a lot more detail when we get into the relationship series, which we'll be doing in February. But next week, we're going to be focusing on what to do with fear. We're going to be talking all about fear and how to deal with fears that get to the place of being out of control or hold us back in our cr crazy brain thinking. And we'll be looking at a lot of the scripture in that. So let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful, uh, and it's a comfort, it really is a comfort to know that it can be hard out there, and sometimes it's just, it's horrible that people are often hurtful, 
and that people that we've given our hearts to and cared about often betray us. And sometimes we don't get the easiest start. Many of us in our family situations have had difficult environments that we were brought into in this world where we weren't given the advantages. And it seems unfair that sometimes others are, that others seem to get everything handed to, to them and, and we sometimes get overlooked or treated badly or kept down. But God, that it's in you that we can overcome and that we can conquer. And that we, instead of staying stuck in resentment, instead of staying in the thinking patterns of staying focused on being angry, that we can look towards you and let go, that we can let go and forgive, and that in forgiveness that there is freedom. That we don't forgive for other people, we forgive so that our hearts are free. We forgive because you're the God of justice, and that, you know, vengeance is yours, Lord. You're the one that repays, that, that we don't have to... We don't have to make people pay for their wrongs to us because we know that no matter what, that we can trust and have confidence and peace that you take care of us through it all. That you can cause us to triumph, that you can cause us to overcome, and that you are our source of strength, you are a source of sufficiency in all things, no matter what's happened to us, God. I thank you for these things and that you have given us the power to overcome in situations where we're powerless. Thank you, Lord. Amen.